All right, can everybody hear me? Is this on? Good. Okay. I'm Eric Lang. Uh, I'm one of your elders here. Uh, due to the nature of our time, uh, something came up and Jesse couldn't make it uh, today, last minute. And uh, to continue on with his teaching theme that he's been teaching the past uh, few weeks, I'm the substitute. And uh, as we all know, when something comes up at the last minute, you get the worst substitute. You know, the one that comes out of the beat, beaten up car with Metallica t-shirt and flip-flops, that's me. So I'm so, I apologize, uh, but we will definitely uh, be seeing Jesse here next week, I hope. Uh, Jesse asked me, uh, do you want to just keep teaching what I've been teaching? I'll give you my notes. Uh, or you can teach on a verse that I mentioned last week, but I didn't really get to, and that maybe you can help expound. And uh, I said, no, you go ahead and teach what you were planning on teaching, so you will be getting a, a good uh, end to his uh, disciple lecture next week. But what he wanted me to teach was, who is the Christ? And that was the idea that uh, he really wanted to talk about. So let's go to this first part. Let's, let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. There we go. And it said, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And this is right after he just got through pulling off the miracle where he fed thousands uh, dinner with just a few fish and still had left over. And everybody's wondering, who is this guy? And he's, ask, he's asking his disciples, Who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon. Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And if we leave it there, it's this beautiful story about how Peter knew just deep inside who the Christ was when Jesus was asking, but it keeps on going. He says to Peter, I also say that you uh, are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and, against, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was a Jesus Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he's telling his disciples, there's going to come a time when we're going to make our way to Jerusalem. And all those religious leaders in Jerusalem are going to kill me. And of course, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now this is Peter being faithful. This is Peter being brave. This is Peter putting Christ on a pedestal. No, Christ, you're up here. There's no way this is going to happen to you. And, of course, we think of this as something coming from a faithful guy. 
But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I mean, who do you say that I am, Peter? You're the Christ. Yes, I'm the Christ. Only the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. And then a little later, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You don't really know who I am. And this is the question we're going to ask ourselves today. Who is the Christ? In the, in the beginning of this, let me go back. First, first one line. Now I lost it. There we go. When Jesus asked his men, who, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now notice Jesus here mentions, refers to himself as the Son of Man. This would not be lost on Jewish people of the time. The Son of Man was a Savior revealed in Daniel. The Son of Man was someone who was going to come, bring himself before the, oh, I forgot who it was, the uh, Holy of Ancients, the Man of Ancients, bring himself before God in Daniel, and he was going to restore the kingdom. He was going to restore an eternal kingdom. In fact, let me go to Daniel. And it says, and Daniel's having this vision. He says, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all his peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Everybody knew who the Son of Man was. He was somebody that was going to come and restore the kingdom, have an eternal kingdom. He's going to be the final king. Because right now in Israel, they have a king. King Herod's not even a real Jew. He's ruling over a kingdom underneath the Roman Empire. He's not the real king. They're waiting for the real king. God refers to himself, or Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is in a way odd because he's the Son of God. Now he's referring to himself as the Son of Man. People knew he was special, but how special was he? Who, who do you say that, who do the people say that I am? And the people say, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a guy who taught repentance. John the Baptist was a guy who went out and washed the filth off of people. He baptized people and cleansed them. Are you this guy, Jesus? Some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people there think you're the guy that's going to come heal them of their sins. Some people, are, some people think you're the guy that's going to cleanse them, lead them to repentance. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're just going to bring hellfire down on earth. Even some of your disciples think this. John, James, they think this. Because we have passages where John and James are walking beside Jesus, and they're like, 
why don't, why don't we just rain down fire on these guys? If they're evil, let's just rain down fire on them. And Jesus says, you do not know who I am. If you think I'm the type of Elijah that rains hellfire, and that's the, that's the way my kingdom's going to be, you do not know me, you do not know my kingdom. Are you, one of the, are you Jeremiah? Are you one of the prophets? When the prophets spoke about Israel. You know, you sin in Israel, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you. You repent and you do good, I'm going to give you your kingdom. You know, we're led away. You know, Jeremiah laments being led away by Babylon. Are you the guy that's going to restore the kingdom? Are you the guy that's going to bring our kingdom back to its glory days? Back when Solomon was king, are you that guy? And we, we even have some disciples that were like that. We have Simon the Zealot. We have Judas Iscariot, who is probably also a zealot. What's a zealot? About, a zealot was someone who was almost militant about trying to get the kingdom of God, or the, or the kingdom of Jerusalem, back into the hands of God, away from the hands of Rome, back to its glory days, if there was such a thing as a glory day. 30, 40 years from now, these zealots would be so brutal and so harsh that some of them even took the name of, uh, I'm losing my mind, uh, Sicari. They were the Sicari zealots, named after the knife that they carried. Because they would walk up to somebody important, whoo, slip them the knife, put it back in their sheath, slip out. They were basically assassins. They were terrorists in the name of restoring the kingdom. Are you that kind of savior, Christ? That's what these people are wondering. You had disciples that, were, that, that could have even thought that way. You had disciples like Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was certainly not a zealot because he worked for the other side. If you're a, a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, it would be like being French under occupied Nazi France and working for the Nazis, going door to door to your French neighbors collecting taxes so you can give them to Hitler. That's what Matthew was. Matthew was a Jew that went door to door collecting taxes and a little to pocket on the side for the Roman Empire who you hated. Why did he follow Christ if he's part of the enemy? He's literally hanging out with a guy who might would like him to die. Like he's an enemy. So we have like Nazi collaborators hanging out with, you know, freedom fighters hanging out with people that still don't know anything. I mean, that's why Jesus says, who do these people say that I am? Because we have all different kinds of things. Some say this, some say this, some say this. And, you know, and, and it's kind of weird, but it's the same way today in, in our lives. You know, if I were to ask some people, who do you, who do you think God is? You know, you would get answers like, Psh, well, I believe in the God of the New Testament. That Old Testament God, he's, he's kind of harsh. You know, I'm the New Testament kind of God. And then you have some guys that would say, oh, man, I like that Old Testament God. 
He lays it down. You know, he's going to punish those guys, and those guys deserve it. You know, I hope that Old Testament God comes back because I'm ready. I'm ready for the fire to come down. You know, you have people that say, well, I like this part of the Bible, but this part of the Bible kind of gives me the creeps. You know, or I like this part of the Bible, but this part of the Bible makes me feel real uncomfortable. This part of the Bible makes me feel guilty. This part of the Bible makes me feel good about myself. We have some people that say, oh, God's definitely Republican because he's a, he's a law and order kind of guy. And then we have, oh, man, God's definitely a Democrat because, you know, he's all about, you know, wealth distribution. You know, my God's really on my side. No, God's my, my God's really on my side. And we have all these different scenarios. Even today, we still can't quite figure out who Christ really is. Who is the Christ? That's why he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you you would not have known this had it not been for God revealing it to you. And, And this is totally true because in our minds, we have our own concept of God. And it's kind of somebody that we create that kind of makes us happy. You know, my God's like this, you know, because he, he makes me comfortable. You know, he doesn't make me too creeped out or too guilty. We, we create this image we have of God, and if we ever have an, a, an image of God that makes us uncomfortable, we kind of push that, that God aside. Or we just can't fathom how we could live with ourselves and that God at the same time. We're, we're always in this dilemma the, type of, the true type of Christ has to be revealed to us by God because our minds can't comprehend the type of God Christ really is. Let me, let me give you the name of God. God actually reveals himself to Moses. Let me flip ahead here. This is what God, this is who God really says that he is. So now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God is going to proclaim the name of the Lord to Moses. And this is what he says. This is, says, this is who I am, is basically what God is saying. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And if you just read it kind of fast like that, it's, okay, okay, that's God. He's, he's, he does this. But really look at it. If you look at it, it says, I am merciful, I am gracious, I forgive sins, I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgression. And then all of a sudden, it just switches. And he goes hardcore. By no means clearing the guilty. Wait, 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 wait. You just said you'll forgive all sins. And I mean, in the exact same sentence, he says, I'm not going to clear the guilty. 
He says, I'm going to punish the guilty so much that their great-great-great-grandchildren are going to feel the effects. And what he, what he means by that, it's not like I'm going to punish your great-great-great-grandchildren for doing something. What it is, is back in those days, um, all a man was really worth was what he could inherit to his children. Okay? I could be a great man, I could be this, and I can be that, and I can do all these great things. But if I have nothing to give to my children, no land to give, no inheritance to give, I'm worthless. He is saying, I am going to punish you so harshly that you will be utterly and completely forgotten. You will pass down nothing. Your worth will be absolutely zero. Everything that you have, I will take away from you so that your children will get nothing from you. Their children will get nothing. By the time it makes it to the fourth generation, they don't remember your name. You'll be gone. I'm going to punish you and take everything that you have from you. And then a couple of phrases earlier, he says, I'm going to forgive you. How is that possible? I mean, this is, this is the name of God. This is Christ. When Jesse asked me, why don't you explain to people who Christ is? I know what he was thinking. He wanted, he wanted me to go over the different names of Christ. And, you know, he's called the Messiah. He's called the Anointed. Uh, but I said, I, I went ahead and went this route. This is Christ. And how is that possible? How can you have somebody that will give utterly and complete 100% mercy and at the exact same time give 100% justice and wrath? How is that possible? Like, it doesn't make sense. That's why Christ says, who do y'all think I am? Because if you don't come up with this, then you're just making me up. Only God can reveal this to you. Because it doesn't make sense. How can I punish somebody and forgive them at the same time? How can I give somebody rest Injustice at the same time. You know, if... How can you have justice and mercy? You can't. How can you have justice and peace? You can't have justice and peace at the same time. If I were to take the sweetest little girl in the room, okay, and I were to just smack her in the face right now. If I were to just take sweet little girl... Her back, yeah. And I hit her in the face. Okay, there's two things that can happen. One, I, I can get justice, or we can have peace. You can't have both justice and peace. If, if, if we're going to get justice in this situation, she's going to have to punch me back. And of course, I'm going to punch her back, she's going to punch me back, and then the dads are going to get involved, and the husbands are getting, you know. There's going to be war, there's no peace. Or I can punch her in the face, and we're going to have peace. But she does not get justice. She's going to have to 
She can forgive me, but she's not going to get justice. She can walk away bloody and bleeding and bruised, and we can have peace. There's not going to be any more fighting. There's not going to be any more hitting, but she's not going to get justice. How do you get justice and peace at the same time? Like, it's, it's mind-boggling. So let, let me give you a scenario. Let me give you one scenario. Let's say we have somebody that is starting to lose it. He might have been abused as a child. He's drinking. He comes home. He has lost his job. He just can't handle life anymore. Okay, he starts to hit the bottle. He might slap his wife around. Or, or, or maybe even this guy's on the verge of schizophrenia and people don't realize it yet. For no fault of his own, he's starting to lose his mind. And he comes home and he's in a weird state. You know, and he starts thinking people are after him and he gets his gun and he has his bottle. And he, regardless of the situation, we, we, we come to a standoff. There's a standoff. We've got a guy locked in his house with a gun, with his gun pointed at his wife's head. The police are surrounding the house. Okay, he starts shooting out the window. He may be schizophrenic. He may just be over his head, just ready for the whole world. Regardless of the situation, the cops are there. How do we handle this situation? I mean, do the, do the cops go in with their guns and kill him? You know, in, in, in today's world, we have this defund the police movement. Do we, do we go in there and give him counseling? Is that the right? You know, let's not involve the police. Let's go give this guy counseling. Is that going to help the scenario? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Some people say that's absurd. And in, 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 in all reality, there's no good way to fix this situation. In, all, in, in our reality, there's, there's no... Thing that's going to cure. Like, can you imagine the cops going in with guns, shooting, you know, trying to protect everybody, at the same time giving the guy, like, counseling advice? At the same time giving them, like, their card, hey, I'll help represent you in court as your defense attorney. At the same time forgiving him, at the same time judging him. I mean, like, we, would, we, we can't comprehend that in our minds. Like, we can't comprehend somebody administering justice and giving counseling at the same time and giving legal help. Like, because in our minds, there's no way that's possible. That's, a kind, that, that's what that is. Like, how, how is that possible? That's, that's, that's like Jesus, you know, being the cop. I'm going to shoot you and give you counseling and legal advice at the same time. Let me give you another scenario. Some of y'all are probably, some of y'all are definitely too young to remember this. Back in Rwanda in the 1990s, we had a genocide. Rwanda is a little tiny, tiny African country. I could ride my bike across the country in an afternoon. That's how little it is. There was, a, there was a mass genocide there, and it started from what happened prior to the 1960s. Prior to the 1960s, two groups of people were divided up into two different classes. You had the Hutus and the Tutsis. And prior to the 1960s, the Tutsis were the higher class, and the Hutus were the oppressed class. And after the 1960s, they were both given equal status, but the Hutus could not 
forgive the Tutsis for all the years of, of oppression that happened before. They could not forgive them. You know, they had been... And by the, ni- by the time the 1990s rolls, rolls around, you have guys, you, know, you have little kids that grew up in the hood for no fault of their own for something that happened two, two generations before, and now they're suffering for it, and they can't forgive. They need justice. And in, and in 19, I want to say 1994, in a two-week period... Now, two weeks in a little tiny country, neighbors went door to door to door to door, bashing in the heads of 600,000 of their neighbors. Now, I don't know what it takes to take a club and a machete and bash in people's heads, but I'm sure it takes more than one swing. And then you go to the next person and you bash them in, and then you pull a little kid out from under the bushes and you bash your heads in. All because of something that happened a couple generations before. They couldn't forgive. They needed justice. You get justice or you have peace. I mean, which one? Which one is it? The Hutu, the Tutsis oppressed the Hutus for a hundred years, almost. They needed justice. The Hutus needed justice. Where's the peace in that? This is what we get. We we can't fathom that. Do we get peace or do we get justice? Do we get mercy or do we get justice? You can't have both in our world. Let's go back to this. When, he, when, he's, when he's talking to Peter, he says, this is what I'm going to build my church on. I am going to build my church on the fact that I need people to know who I really am. I'm the Christ. I'm not something that somebody made up. I'm not somebody that somebody feels comfortable with. You know, I'm not somebody that supports this party over this party. I need people to know who I really am. That's what I'm going to build my church on. We, we can't have like, I can't, I can't be a made-up God. I can't be a, a figment of somebody's comfort. He says, this is what I'm going to build my church on, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I, I debated on whether I wanted to talk to this, because this, this is a really odd obscure verse, and it's been taken out of context a lot. But what I will say about this verse is what Jesus is saying is there's heaven and then there's earth, but in my kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're they're interwoven right now. They're interwoven in in what the the ideas and the, the things that I'm made of are not only in heaven, but they also take place on earth. Okay? My, my power is not something that's in the future, so far away up in you know, the ethereal. This is something that is, that is interwoven in today's world.
Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that Jesus is the Christ. Why not tell anybody right now? Because nobody can fathom. Nobody can really fathom this. We're having a hard time right now fathom, fathoming how the Christ can be what he claims to be. It doesn't make sense. It certainly is not going to make sense to those people. So when you, tell, when you tell those people, oh, this is, this is the anointed one. He's finally here. They're thinking, yes, we're going to get back at Rome or, you know, or whatever. That's what they're, th- they're going to think. Now right here, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised a third day. And Peter says, that ain't going to happen. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. It's always better when you say it in the old King James. Like he just called Peter Satan. If you do not believe that Jesus had to die and be born again, then you don't understand what the Christ really means. Jesus is saying, I have to die. The the Christ cannot be possible if I don't die. That's what's so mind-blowing about it, is because you can't understand it until you know that Christ died and was raised again. None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense Exodus really doesn't make sense if you don't know that Christ had to die and had to be born again in order to fulfill the role of the true Son of Man. Why does Christ have to die in order to get justice? Why does Christ have to die in order to get peace? Why does Christ have to die in order to get mercy? The fact that Christ has to die, let's say, in order for us to get mercy, is because God has to have his vengeance. Whenever we sin, whenever we do evil, we're sinning against God. And God demands justice. Now, he can take justice out on you, but instead he decided to take justice out on Christ. Everything that Christ did on that cross, he was doing for us. So that God can give us mercy and justice at the same time. If Christ doesn't die, if Christ doesn't get punished, there, there, there can't be mercy and justice at the same time. It's impossible. If Christ doesn't die, then I can't give you mercy. I've got to give you justice. He has to die for our sins. So when he said, when Peter says, no, no, you're not going to die, he says, get behind me, Satan, because you're trying to thwart all the plans. Satan would love it if Christ did not die on the cross. That would be the best thing to ever happen to Satan if Christ didn't die on the cross. Christ had to die on the cross in order for us to get mercy 
and justice at the same time. What about those evil people who don't repent, who don't ask for mercy, who are just horrible people, who've done horrible things on this earth? What about them? Christ has to die. Because when he comes back, he's going to restore. He's going to restore this world and punish those who do not ask for repentance. How does this bring peace? Let's go back to that Rwandan scenario. What if you lived your entire life? Both sides now are dealing with injustice. The Hutus were dealing with the injustice of oppression. The Tutsis are dealing with the injustice of genocide. Both of them are seeking justice. How do you get by? How do you have peace without murdering the other? You have to have a future hope that the world is going to be redeemed. It's the only thing that can give you peace. It's the only thing that can give you peace. If you know that later on in life, the world will be set straight. Because it's not going to be set straight now. It's not. It's not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be set straight now. But like I said, the kingdoms are interwoven. We can envision a future later on. We can envision a future where, where we are redeemed. And it gives us hope now. If you go to Rwanda today, you have neighbors living side by side. You have Hutus and Tutsis living side by side. And they can't, they, they, they find it odd that at one point in time they hated one another. Like, and, and now they live in peace. Now they live in peace because the, the ones who were oppressed, the ones who lost their family members to bashings, are going to be redeemed in the future. And the ones that did the bashings, the ones who chopped off you know, little kids' arms with machetes, they're rep- they're, those who are repent- repenting, they know that they're going to get forgiveness, that they already have forgiveness. If you don't believe that Christ died, then none of those things could happen. If we go back to the, the first scenario, the guy shooting out the window, there's always someone innocent that gets hurt, always. There's always a stray bullet that hits someone. What if that stray bullet hit a little girl, hit her in the back, she goes crippled? How does she live the rest of her life? If she doesn't believe that Jesus died for her, she lives the rest of her life bitter and angry that she can't walk. She lives the rest of her life bitter and angry that she has to go in a wheelchair. But if she knows that Jesus has died... And, if I can get to it, has prevailed against the gates of Hades? If she knows that Jesus has died and rose again, 
That means that one day she'll be able to walk again. If Jesus doesn't die and conquer death, if Jesus doesn't die and raise again so that death cannot hurt us anymore, then that little girl in the wheelchair has no hope. That's why Christ had to die. That's why it's so important when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Not only do we say, you're the Christ, but you're, we have to say, you're the Christ that died and rose again and prevailed against the gates of hell. Otherwise, it's not the right God. Otherwise, it's just a God of your imagination. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you on this Labor Day. We know it's a national holiday to give us rest from our labors. But Lord, let us just pray and acknowledge that you are the only one who can give us true rest. You're the true Sabbath. You're the true Lord of justice and mercy and peace. And we say all this in your name. Amen.